This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host, Nabil Mahmood, currently out of San Francisco, California. This is your co-host, Philip Koblenz from Montclair, New Jersey. This is Steve Scott. I'm calling from London, England. Steve, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Glad that you were able to connect and get on the Nomad Futures platform. Before we get started, let's get to know you a little bit. Could you tell our audience, what do you do? Today, I'm, I'm working for a company called DataLake. I'm the CEO there. We are a, a medium-sized uh, data center construction company, and we do all elements of data centers where a, we'll do the white space and the, uh, the landlord areas. It's a great little business. It's grown extraordinarily over the last few years, and, uh, and we are forever developing new products out in pursuit of a new resource. We are pan-European. We're incorporating every few months somewhere else in Europe. But right now we're 17 subsidiary countries in Europe. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a great little business. And I must say I'm enjoying it a great deal. I've been here for about the last 18 months full-time. And prior to that, I was acting in a non-executive capacity. There's been a lot that's been going on on your side of the pond, especially with Brexit and with Boris's departure. How, how has that affected your business? <laughs> that's a great question, actually. We, uh, we obviously anticipated Brexit, which has been more significant in terms of how we work cross-border over here in Europe. And we planned for that carefully. COVID was more difficult to plan for because no one really knew how to, quite how to deal with that. But over in the in Europe, for the most part, we had dispensation where you could go and work because it was critical infrastructure on data center sites. And you had some kind of fast track rules around COVID where the rest of the populations didn't. But in terms of both those two challenges, they made up for a little bit of a perfect storm, really, where we are challenged moving people around Europe cross border because of new Brexit rules. And we're also challenged because of COVID rules. Managing that, we are looking to employ more and more people in Europe to develop our European business, which is about 80% of our business is mainland Europe and 20% is the UK. We're very, very much a European business. And, and we've got a, a tight team of people who, are, who work and meet every week to resolve Brexit type challenges. COVID has largely gone away for us in terms of how we manage that, but internally as a business, we still have some fairly strict COVID rules around accessing sites and accessing offices and how you behave if you find that you are testing positive. And indeed, we have to reflect what our clients need us to do in the event that you are on site and you test positive and how you behave after that, because they similarly have got uh, their own rules laid down. But, you know, it's been complicated. It's not been insurmountable, but it's been complicated. And I actually think being prepared and managing gave us a little bit of a, a launch pad to, to, you know, win some quite big deals and beat back the competition who hadn't thought about that quite so yeah. you, you made an interesting statement that 20% of your business is out of the UK. Yeah. Being an English company, that's a fairly low number. Where are you seeing most of your activity? Is there any particular country? Is there particularly anything in special that's driving that 80% of business growth in that region? 
Again, that's a, another good question. Our, our primary markets are Germany, France, Spain, Central Europe, really. And we've done quite a bit actually up in Northern Europe and the Scandinavian countries this year as well. But uh, Germany, Frankfurt remains very much the center of, of data center construction and banking here in Europe. The, the other place which is interesting that uh, it gets a lot of attention is down in Marseille in France, because of course all the big submarine cables east-west, they land in Marseille all the CMEWE cables, and then they route up to Paris. Paris and Marseille twin to make up an, another significant growth area for us. Quite separate to that, an Ireland is in the Republic of Ireland, has for an awful long time been the home of uh, many of the big digital infrastructure players and the hyperscalers because it's got a, it's very tax advantageous to operate there. And uh, there are, there, there are, any number of data centers, and there's an extraordinary amount of data center development there at the moment. We've got quite a big team over there in in Ireland and a country manager running that, and that's been a growth area. And actually, I think looking into 2023, it's going to be a, a very significant growth area for us. One last question before I hand it off to Phil. Typically, Phil is the one that does most of the talking, and I'm here to listen. I'm trying to set a record for 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 longest silence for myself. I, I think I'm <laughs> exactly Phil right thing. I know, I know exactly. That's his. My God, so the economic crash right, you know, right here waiting for us. We 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 are ready to get into a recession yeah. fairly quick. What what are your plans, and how, how do you see the data center industry being impacted in the European market? You know, I was talking about this the other day with a, in an analyst meeting, the, uh, the, it, it, it's complicated. These are critical services. Uh, are people going to stop using the internet and are they going to stop using cloud-based services? Uh, I, I think that's unlikely. I do think that the, uh, the massive increase in the cost of power is both driving challenges that relate to the supply chain and also just to operating data centers and ultimately um, the increased cost to operate is getting it passed down to the user. And the user may be loosely aware of this, but if you double the cost for using Microsoft 365 or by, you know, using Google cloud-based services, then, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how you maintain the traction and the growth in that space. It's, it, this is very, you know, we're, we're in sort of untested waters now with the, this huge increase. And you've got to couple that up with the, the increase in any event in the amount of power that's being consumed in data centers, which is rising very, very rapidly over these years as more and more um, applications and servers come online because more and more resolution is needed and higher speed solutions are needed and, you know, better, more sophisticated applications are operating. They're all coming together to create something which is, which I think is going to create a challenge. We too are getting ready for a, a recession over here. You know, we're targeting inflation to get to perhaps 18%. And, and that's in the UK and, and Europe will be much the same. We are somewhat shielded from the increase in power as a consequence of the Ukraine-Russian conflict because we don't rely on that quite much, but the big engine room in Europe, which is Germany, is going to be very affected. There are models out there to say what's going to happen next. And I think we're going to see some quantitative easing. I think we're going to see some, some task concessions and people all sort of, you know, having to tighten the belt a little bit at the government level to try and see us push through this. But it is for sure going to be a very challenging time. 
and, and, and indeed for us as data lake, you know, we've got to work out more and more efficient ways of deploying data center technology around Europe, more efficient ways of building offsite construction, modular construction, all of the things that we, we know that we can do to drive down the cost of delivery. And we are working ever hard on those types of applications. In general, much like you know the the, the pandemic and, and and Brexit, the companies that that tend to thrive in these environments are those that can you know adapt quickly, right? You know, it's it's I think I think thinking about it and not just sticking your head in the sand, thinking that you know we are a recession proof industry because no one's gonna stop using the internet when you know there are clearly going to be you know impacts from you know inflationary pressures, you know, pandemic pressures, geopolitical pressures, et cetera. You know, is is exactly the right way to think about things. Yeah, let's take a step. Yeah, right. Let's uh, let's take a step back for a second. When you were uh, when you were growing up, did you tell yourself, "I want to I want to build mission critical infrastructure for a living"? That's 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 my passion. The answer is no. When I was a young boy growing up, I wanted to join the Royal Navy and be a chef. But I will tell you the full story. Maybe later on, if I see you at a conference. But my very early years after leaving school, I was a young commie chef, and I burned a kitchen down and nearly burned a hotel down. Actually. <laughs> So if there are any, if there are any Navy chefs out there that burned a kitchen down, you, there is, there is a future for you. Don't think, don't think that the life ends there. To my surprise, I lost my job right there. And anyway, I went on and joined the Royal Navy and did a, actually did an apprenticeship. And then when I, I, I was lucky enough to have done the right sort of exams and the right sort of school qualifications prior to that, I accelerated that pretty quickly. And, and then found myself doing a job in communications in the, in the Royal Navy. I went on and I did a couple of degrees and uh, after 11 years, I came out. I actually came out not really quite knowing what I wanted to do. I mostly rode. I didn't do a, hum- a huge amount else, but I did a job for a, a communications consultant really operating with, with overseas military for a while. It seemed to fit the bill. And then I got into, into software companies and it was really engineering based software businesses. And I found that they were UK based two, one after the other. And I worked hard to internationalize these products. And I kind of traveled around the world a little bit and incorporated subsidiary companies and found partnerships and really developed these businesses and had a, a great learning doing that. It was, it was, it wasn't difficult, the actual incorporating companies, but just making them all work and recruit people was, was pretty hard work. Uh, after a period in that, that was very high-end engineering, like CFD type software and, you know, 4D modeling. I um, then went into I, what I call IT mainstream. I ran a, a little IT reseller in London and, and I really enjoyed that. It was pretty hard work for a couple of years. And then I went to a business they really primaried around managed services, the very early days of managed services around 1998. And when I was there, it was a, what inspired me was some of these businesses trying to, you know, cross the Rubicon really and start doing things better. We, myself and a couple of colleagues, we worked hard and we won what was actually the biggest internet contract ever awarded to date in Europe. It was to connect up 2,700 schools on a big grid called London Grid for Learning in 1998. It sounds trivial today, but back then that really was almost rocket science. And it was fantastic doing that. And quickly on the heels of that, I, there's a, a conference facility over in London called Earl's Court. 
And uh, we got us called Connected Up to the Web. And you could make your very first e-phone call over Ethernet uh, from a, a any conference venue in the world went from us called. And, and that was, it was great for me that because I got home to support it and to put in some fiber and, but it was great. Anyway, that was a couple of years. I then went to a big company called Global Switch data center business and primarily there because the private equity firm that owned it was more interested to me. But I went to Global Switch, I ran their managed service business for a couple of years. I did a fair amount of work there. Then I went on with the private equity firm. And did a, a whole range of companies after that. We acquired PSINet in Europe, which is a great business over in there in the US for a period until they built a football stadium and bought a fleet of jets. And, but when PSI. What, what could possibly, what could possibly go wrong? What could go wrong? They went into chapter 11, but the European business was actually in pretty good shape. We acquired that and I ran that for a couple of years. And that was again, a big pan-European business. Very, very interesting, very hard work making that a better business than it was when we bought it. And then that ultimately, we sold that to, to Telstra. That became Telstra Europe, really. And then I went on from there, did some other managers, Navisite, which is a US business. I ran the European part of that business for a while. I was on the board of Navisite for a bit. And there was quite a bit of transatlantic stuff going on. And then really data centers, building, buying, selling, about 11 million square foot altogether before I eventually left this private equity firm and went and did a, a couple of years investment banking, running a little boutique investment bank in London, which was crazy hard work. And it was, I developed a huge respect for investment bankers. Genuinely, it was a, it was tough. Uh, and then from there, I went back, I did, uh, along the way, I did a, some submarine telecoms cables. I went back and did another couple of projects over in the Caribbean. And, and I went into, into Datalek, really from, from when I first stepped into software, engineering software, soon after graduating and leaving the Navy, I think I was, I was very sure that IT was going to be the space I'd work in. And it's not that I'm particularly good at IT. My, I did a software-based degree, but it wasn't I was particularly uh, animated toward that. I just liked the business of it and the idea that it was, you know, it really knew no, no boundaries. It was truly international. Everything we do on the internet is just truly international. And I think I enjoyed that more than anything else. Datalek is, you know, as for quite a few years, just doubles in size every year. And uh, indeed next year we'll grow by about 55%. And, and again, my, what I want, I hope the skills I bring to, to Datalek are just bringing good order around an international business, product development good client engagement and, uh, and also, you know, good skills around, you know, equity play and finding those pivot points and working to that. Whose kitchen did you burn? <laughs> you, you didn't ask that. <laughs> it was a little hotel. All those words, all those words. And we're right back to the beginning. Don't try to yada, yada, yada over the kitchen burn. Just can't believe it. Just won't let it go. The kitchen. Burn fact, down one kitchen. It was well, little, that defined the career. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little hotel just outside Sheffield where I lived. And I used to have to stay there in this little cottage with a friend of mine. And it, the, the truth is, I was, I did a bad job cleaning out a, a big deep fat fryer. And I'd forgotten that I'd left all the taps open when it was all switched on again, melting these big blocks of uh, fat while I was watching the football next door. And when I came back to the kitchen, it was all on fire. 
which would have been which would have been manageable on a sleepy Saturday night. Sadly, there were four hundred people pitching up for a wedding, and uh, there was no stopping those coaches coming over the hills. It was it was it was challenging, and that was the last night I worked there. I have to say that I've developed a great love for cooking since, and 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 I have. You know, further to your dispersions, which I did sense there, that I haven't burned down a single kitchen or hotel since. Wow. Well, I mean, it's a good record. The old adage for kids, right, is uh, you teach them that the stove is hot by letting them touch it once. And if you learn from that mistake, then, then <laughs> exactly. you're doing your job right. I, I just wanted to, to, to touch on one thing that I think is a running theme that we try to, to talk about on the podcast, which is this notion of this industry having such a wide breadth of of potential experience we talk about them as sub, sub verticals or what have you and you seem like the 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 perfect example of you know someone that has operated in many different areas on many different levels and it seems to me that you know much of your success you know could be attributed to uh the exposure to these various different things you know if you if you had to compare our industry to to some others is that is that unique to our industry this notion that you know you can operate on a very technical level you can do obviously construction uh which is what you're focused on now clearly there are a couple of uh, people listening in on our call right now that are in you know the marketing area there's obviously a finance component to it legal etc and uh, how much how much do you think that um, is is kind of unique to our industry and 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 potentially something that we should strive to highlight in order to try to get new blood into into our space, which is clearly you know our goal of the of the foundation, the podcast, et cetera. So I think there is I think it's unique, but I think the transition between the various subject matters is more straightforward where we are. And I think that providing you've got a, you know, a solid sort of technical start point or an interest in the technology, which I think is where it starts from. It's a very, very cool industry. The idea that, you know, every single device is connected via, you know, some type of broadband, you know, my phone and what have you, and my car and my washing machine. It's, it's it got to an extraordinary level. I think that there is a huge amount of opportunity to research in that space and do the very, very high-end tech and applications development, I think is fantastic. And similarly, at an equal level, there's great opportunities to go out there and to go into you know, specialist construction and specialist electrics to go and actually deliver these, these solutions. But it's, even though it's commonplace now and, you know, my kids and anybody who is, you know, under the age of 35 will never remember what it was like not to have a phone, really. But I certainly remember the, the first, my first phone and the idea that I had a unique number that I could move around the world with and it would ring or I could ring out on that and some would recognize them. But it was just, it was such an, an extraordinary lurch forwards in technology. And that's the point. That's exactly it. And what we try to say is like, it's incumbent upon our generation to try to articulate that, that passion, that, that wonder of what it was like to straddle, you know, us being, you know, some of the last generations that straddled the, you know, before digital age and the digital age, whether it was, yeah. you know, the cell phone, the computer doing something other than playing a game or, or making a greeting card or, or, or whatever. That's something that we have to harness that I think is not effectively, you know, communicated to the younger generation because they take it for granted because it's there. 
because you did such a good job building, you know, the submarine cables and those communications things that it's just, it's matter of fact at this point that, you know, they, they don't recognize that, you know, there's a lot of effort that goes into not just establishing that network that connected all those devices, but keeping it up and running. Uh, and, and I think, you know, sometimes, and I mentioned this in, in, you know, the, the, the conversation we had prior to starting the recording. You know, as an industry, we are highlighted only when there's an outage and nobody ever calls us and thanks us for, you know, the the 99% of uptime uh, yeah. that they receive. They only are like, oh, I can't get to TikTok or AWS is down or something like that. Yeah. And the notion that all of that is is a miracle, that it all works and that it happens. And, you know, uh, I, I think we don't do a good enough job of, of you know, articulating how special that is and and making it, you know, as exciting to the younger generations as it was to us, not because we were scientists or 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 you know top level engineers, simply because we came of age at a time that, you know, this was happening. It was of course this was the the direction, you know, we we went in because it's just it's incredible. This great points you made there. I just want to unpack a couple of them. One is the it, it was it was a marvel. The idea that you could literally move around and somebody could ring you and it was what, literally, it was exciting every time your phone rang. And, but the idea that all the billing, you know, I'd be in Nigeria and all the billing would end to end and connect and, you know, join up was, was somewhat staggering. But I'd, I also think that there is the reason why these, this industry generally is, is fascinating. There's so many reward in so many different areas, just in pure technology and app development and, in, in everything to do with delivering a service to a, a static or a mobile device, it's extraordinary. And, and the, this, you know, we're seeing it really blossom now with our connected devices going from probably, you know, 23 or 24 billion to 60 or 70 billion over the next few years where everything is truly joined up and the data that then produces. And it's, it's, it's amazing and slightly frightening in equal measure what that data then can be used for and how you can exploit that and how you can understand more about what's going on in the world and how you can use it to, to all of our great benefit. And I think that in itself is so the mathematicians and the statisticians out there. I think it's a very, very interesting pathway. And to your point about, you know, how can I kind of break down this industry we're in and look at all the different sort of career components there are in it and transition between those more than once. The reason why I think it, um, Philip, it fits with our, uh, our youth today is that they don't graduate or leave school with the idea they're going to have a career. They're going to be a policeman or they're going to be a cook. or they, they leave school with the idea they're going to have one or two or three careers, one after the other. They don't have the same anxiety, I guess, that we grew up with where, you know, you've got to do something, got to get out the door. You know, gotta get a job. They they see the anxiety is how do we how do we frame the best Instagram shot? I'm kidding. I think yeah, and I, I think that the they're more relaxed, more able to go from one career to the next. And I think that with infrastructure and uh, and our da- world of data centers and communications, be them submarine or otherwise, I think there are multiple layers of career you can attend to. And you can make it incredibly exciting. And by the way, it's also just in terms of, for, for I, I can say from where I am with construction and electric side, it's a staggeringly paid space. But guys who are coming through, they're graduating or they're not, or they're going to do, do a, an apprenticeship or an H&D. 
the rewards for a very, very young 22, 23, 24-year-old professional in our space, doing a good job, putting in the hours, the, the financial rewards are staggering. And I think that they, that they, they, they must outweigh anything else out there in a similar space. I imagine the number of resumes that Steve Scott is going to start getting towards his inbox as a consequence of su- suggesting the staggering wealth that you can get <laughs> simply by joining a space is going to be significant. It's a good thing you're growing at 55% year over year because you get a lot of, I'm going to make one more point and then I'm going to hand it back to the deal, which is, you know, I think what's, what's amazing about the, 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 the space in general is that the, the the gig economy has proven something over the course of the last several years. We talked about this in a previous podcast also, that that we are the commodity. Like the the person is the commodity. It's not the job anymore. It's it's the person that you're selling. You see so many, you know, the great resignation and you see so many of these storylines where people are essentially going into business for themselves. In the US, there are some, you know, tax benefits to doing that, but but in general, and and the pandemic in some cases accelerated that with, you know, work from home capabilities and people really reducing their dependence on on being in the office. But the notion that you don't have to have a particular expertise in a particular space, which you, you could. Obviously, there are plenty of trades and et cetera that 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 you know there there is no shortage of demand for that. If anything, that's that's outpaced some of the other things. But but as an industry, like a person's as an industry, we we represent the enabler of that. You know, the person is the commodity in a way that I think it is is in line with you know what you just expressed about yeah. not looking for a job being the thing that you keep for 30 or 40 years and and retire at the end. It's it's you and you are the thing that goes from, you know, position yeah, to position. That's a great point, actually. That's a great point. The, uh, I think the, uh, I'd love to, I'd love to understand how this plays out in terms of, uh, you know, pre-job fair and, you know, and, you know, kids leaving school and what the sort of educational support is around what the next job, what you do next, what is your career, you know, what career do you develop yourself for? But I think, I think it must be at some point that there's a breakdown, certainly over here in the UK and in Europe, we're just not getting the trainees coming through in the volumes that I imagine would. And by the way, I have to say, we've got a, a trainee program at, at Data Lake and the guys that we have working for us, are they're fantastic guys and they really enjoy it. And they are enthusiastic and they're, you know, on the money and they are absolutely, they're at college doing the work and, you know, we've got a, a, a great program for that. And it's, uh, and I would welcome as many trainees as we get a hands on pretty much in this space. You don't have to be particularly qualified coming into it, uh, but, you know, training, college, H&D, get your qualifications and get out there and start doing the work. And then if you use that, then come on into the office and help us build a business. Yeah, that's, that's great. I think that's like a uniform message across the industry. We understand that there's a human capital limitation that everybody globally is experiencing in the data center information technology market segments. But you made a couple of points that I want to get a little bit more clarification about. For instance, you know, one of the things that you said was around the lines of people moving jobs. Yeah. More than they, they did before. Is it primarily because now that that resource has got more information or is it just a cultural change? And are you seeing so that? I, I, think, I think it's more a cultural change. I didn't know this really. And this is just, you know, first person. I've got a bunch of friends of mine. They've got 
you know, the young adults in their family, uh, children who are, who are graduating, who have graduated, you know, taking their first steps into what they're going to go and do next. <laughs> and, um, they, and I sit whenever I get the opportunity to sit down with them and find out what their plans are. You know, I'm friends with them. I know them, what the plans are. And there's no, they want to get out there and work and do a job, but there's no, there's never any anticipation they're going to sit and be a, you know, a construction project manager for the next 30 years. They do that for like, you know, three or four years. Then they're going to go and back to college and do something else and then come back and do a different job and then travel and go and work in America or go and work in Australia. It knows but career and indeed geography knows no particular boundary now. And I think that, which I think is healthy that our young adults are leaving school with the idea, for the most part, with the idea that their future is going to be, you know, delivered in segments and not necessarily, I'm going to, you know, join the police and then I'll be a constable, then I'll be a, you know, sergeant, then I'll be a, and after 55 years, I'll, you know, get my golden handcuffs and I'll be gone. The, I just think it's a much, much more mature and a much, much more, a much healthier way of approaching life when compared to, if I compare to how I approach mine, it worked out for me, but I didn't, I don't think I, my parents particularly drove me in the right direction, the way I hope I'm driving my kids or encouraging my kids. I don't want to use the word drive, encouraging I think a part of it is personally connected to the education and experiences. You're a perfect example from wanting to be a chef to being, you know, one of the leaders in the data center industry. Your journey is quite interesting. You've been in banking, finance, you've been in life sciences, and now you're building data centers. It's probably more than the culture itself. It's experience, exposure, and opportunities. And I, from where I sit, I believe that the generation today has that exposure to data that they can do that research. The challenge is, the challenge is that us as, as the leaders in the space are not talking about how big of a gap that we've got in our space. And the fact that we are the only industry that's got sub verticals in it. You can be in finance, you can be in life sciences, you can be in real estate, you can be an attorney. It can be anything. This is the only industry that's got these subverticals filled in. Yeah. It's an opportunity for people to come into the space and it plays pretty decent. Oh, no, it is. And I agree with that. And I think that, you know, the uh, truthfully, we're, we're in an aging industry. For example, I was, uh, when I was running a Glen Speak for yourself. I am getting younger and younger. Yeah. So <laughs> when I was uh, button. A Global Marine Systems, uh, in around 2006 through 2010, I was going to PTC over there in Hawaii every year. And a great conference and actually an interesting conference, a quite good networking, a long time to get there and get back. And I took a, three or four years off when I was just busy running data center type stuff and investment banking. That was sort of heading back over there again in 2015 when I was running this project in the Caribbean to build out some cable out there. I don't think I saw a single new face. I got back, it was like I'd never not been there. And uh, it just, you know, it was lovely to get the welcome back. All my buddies I know really have known for years and years, but it was just all getting older. And there isn't the pull through of youth, even if it's just a part of their career structure, even if they're just in it for five years or six years or something. And, you know, we have to say that we're, we're just not communicating down there to our 16 to 18 year olds, you know, enough about syndrome to make them realize 
it's a very cool space with lots and lots of choice and lots and lots of different skills needed, whether sales or marketing or actual construction or whatever it is. It's a very cool place to be. Uh, I, I think I think one of the one of the issues, and we talk, and Beale talks about it all the time. You know, this this notion that our educational system hasn't really changed significantly since what the second industrial revolution. You just you know, I, I think it's 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 systemic, it's structural. Yeah. Like it's just not like they don't know that this thing exists because they were, were they you know again they were born with it, right? It's it's our job to to secure the future, which is exactly you know, what, what we're doing here. I will make one point on the, uh, on the aging thing. One final point, which is I have the same haircut today that I had when I was born. Clearly I'm not. You haven't aged a bit. I haven't aged a bit. I, you take a look at a baby picture of me and short of a little bit of, you know, five o'clock shadow. You can't tell the difference. That'd be a bit sinister. A little baby with a line to help me and thing going on. I'm not sure about that. But actually, to be honest, I think it's, uh, it's better to be, we'll touch on the hair because clearly I'm, I'm also follically challenged. But I think it's, it's better to be the bald guy than be the balding guy. Just be the bald guy. Just be the bald guy. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, they're, they're, uh, no, no question. No question. I, I'd still rather be in a beard than me, but yeah. definitely not the balding guy. Definitely not the balding guy. The, the glass is half full. Steve, you, you, like, like we shared your career earlier, what, what are some of the core lessons that you have learned being in this industry? That's, that's, a, that's a good question. I think, I think the, for me, a, a core lesson is that there's, there's, no, there's no such thing as rocket science. We're, we're a terrible industry for acronyms and making everything sound complicated. And truthfully, it, it isn't complicated. And I don't think, you know, a, a physics teacher once told me that even rocket science isn't rocket science. You know, there's nothing difficult. And you can um, apply fairly, fairly common practices to, you know, construction or legals or, you know, contract work or finance work and equity and all that. It works really whether you're buying a hotel or buying a data center or whether you're constructing a block of flats or constructing a, you know, car park. The largely terrible skills. I think the reason why our industry is interesting is that you can come in, learn a bunch, and the skills you take away with you are transferable easily to something else. And, and, and I think that's the same can be said for bringing those skills into our world of digital infrastructure. And I think that it's good to get a different slant on something every now and then, get a different type of idea of of how you would go about a legal process, you might simplify it and make it a bit all a bit slicker. But for me, it's I think that's a great question. It's 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 all about how transferable the skills are and how you can fairly easily move between various disciplines within the the digital infrastructure space and the companies that really support and. <laughs> that's that's great. The industry is growing dramatically. Where we are at today. We weren't two years ago and COVID has actually been one of those influencers or where the industry was 10 years ago. I shared that and laughed at it, that we were the folks in this industry typically sitting in a stairwell and looking for a stapler like the movie office space. Since then, we've graduated and now we've got the corner office or we're sitting at the board table. What is the future? Considering this is changing dramatically, what is the future and how do you keep learning and staying ahead of the curve? All right. I, I, like, I love that question. 20 years ago, 22, 23 years ago, we had no idea where the internet was going really, or these internet type of services were going. We were building data centers and infrastructure and 
cable network systems blind. We had no idea capacity, power, location. We had no idea. Now we do. We've got good curves now. We now know we can see looking forwards what the taker was going to be. We know the pillars in our industry we're going to work to, power connectivity, access, security, geography, and demographics are things that drive fundamentally the most of our industry. And I think that we can plan that going forwards. In terms of what we need to do to make it work better, it, it obviously, sustainability is the now the most overused word in the last couple of years, but we have to now address seriously the sustainability, low latency, you know, high availability applications that have got to be clustered around a city, put them there. Higher latency type applications, put them somewhere the power is, is less expensive and indeed it's all green. And by that, you know, up in the north, it's all geothermic. You know, we've got lots of areas in the US and over here in Europe where you can deliver 100% of your power through a sometimes re, you know, renewable method. I think that we are moving toward, I'm glad that the edge is trying to has finally found its place. You know, edge, smaller data centers, urbanized, near urban, the medium-sized data center with lower cost power. They can do clever things with batteries and what have you. And then the country engine rooms, way out rural, miles away, somewhere where there's no load on power. You can maybe get in near some hydro facility and they're the three, 400 megawatt facilities. I think that we are moving toward that. And, and I think that the applications development guys out there have got to get clever about building apps that identify with their latency and their power requirements, and they get deployed to where they should be deployed. And by doing that, we can begin to address the sustainability. But coupled with that, we've got to work out better ways of building, better ways of managing, and better ways of running data centers because the power they consume and will consume is absolutely staggering. And I think that uh, and the last point on all of this is that I was at a conference recently and someone talked about becoming self-regulated. I don't think self-regulation in any industry has ever worked. I think this industry will become regulated properly and uh, we will have to attend to a regulator with a set of rules and respond to that. And I think further to that, which is going to make it more helpful, we've seen these, these infrastructure funds grow up over the last five or six years where they didn't exist before. And they are happy to go there and perform at yields of three, three and a bit percent. But to do that, they need to have a regulated asset class, which they can invest in. As regulation, I think it's a business that's become asset class orientated, which is really quite grown up. It's not the Wild West we're in 10 years ago, even. It's now fully grown up and we have to get on with that. That's... That's my answer to that question. I think there are quite a few things we're going to do, but I think the road ahead is pretty clear. We know, we now know what this world needs for the most part in terms of digital infrastructure and the applications that it employs. To my knowledge, time travel isn't possible yet, but if we were able to make that happen and you were to go back in time, what is this one thing that you would do differently? Besides, besides emptying the fat from that fryer. Took it from me, I was going to say that. <laughs> I, you know, I think about this occasionally in a melancholy kind of way. I think I probably wouldn't, I did two engineering degrees. I probably wouldn't have done that. I would have probably done one business. I'd like to have done 
a science or something or maybe law and then gone into the Royal Navy and then done a degree in engineering. I think that's coupled with both. I think I'd be, I'd be enjoy, I'd, I'd have a, you know, I'd deliver more to the to the crewmen right now. Obviously, you know, you get fairly savvy with, with commercials and contract work, but I just think that that would have been a better combination. If there's anything that I'd go back and change, it's probably that as a big thing. There's obviously lots of little things I'd go back and change, but I say it's broadly that. You've had a great career and a great life. Steve, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. It has been absolutely phenomenal. Talking to you, Philip. Thank you very much indeed. It's lovely talking to you too. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.